Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Well, I want to, as we think and kind of linger on those words of the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I want to ask you this question, how are you adjusting in these changing times? What's going on inside of you as you think about uh, sort of taking on the next wave, the next thing, adapting to the next process? It looks like uh, school will be the next thing. It needs to get some major uh, overhaul, renovation, going to be done differently. Already the plans are in place, and it takes a certain amount of adjusting and adapting. How are you doing with that? What's happening to you? If I were to ask you to just sum up the, the core emotion that goes with that, what would you say it is? Anger? Frustration? Fear? Worry? Confusion? Maybe it's just weariness? I wonder how many people in asking that question thought about this. Expectant, anticipating, hopeful. It seems like when we go through change and when we're invited into space where we have to adapt and, and we have to adjust, it, it tends to sort of move us in some negative directions. And so I just want to talk about that this morning and I want to think about it together. I'm hearing as I get older... That stretching is really good for you. So I'd like to do a little experiment this morning. And no, I'm not going to have you stretch. But I would like for you to say this out loud. I'm really interested in learning how to stretch. I'd like for you to say it out loud. I don't care who you say it to. But I want you to speak it. And here's why I really want you to speak it. I am so curious as to what is going to show up in your feed now that you have spoken those words. I'm guessing that in your feed this week, if you said that out loud, because someone is listening, you're going to all of a sudden see ads for all kinds of ancient torture devices that are designed to stretch your body. Because evidently it's good for you to stretch your body. And there are all kinds of methods to give you a good stretch. All kinds of ways that, that are designed, devices that are designed to help you stretch your body. And for those of us that lived a few years, we understand that you, you lose some flexibility in the process of aging. And, you know, I usually get a really good stretch for putting my socks and shoes on. That's a, that's a pretty good stretch in the morning. And I think, you know, whatever it is that you decide, whatever your, uh, you know, methodology, whether you go after the back or the neck or the shoulders or whatever methodology, uh, I, this is my experience, there's a painful process in stretching. It's not easy. If you're doing it right, it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And I would guess if this morning we, we said instead of just needing to stretch my body, I need to stretch my mind and my spirit and my attitude, I'm guessing if you said that out loud, I need to stretch my mind, my body, and my attitude and my spirit, I'm guessing nothing would show up in your feed because there aren't very many ways to do that. There is no device that you can use to stretch your mind there's no device that's going to be delivered to you from Amazon that's going to help you stretch your spirit. That stuff has to take place and hold it. But I want to say this. It is just as painful. And if we're doing it right, it's uncomfortable for us to stretch our minds 
and to stretch our spirits and to stretch our attitudes. And so this morning we're talking about a healthy stretch and we're obviously thinking about what that looks like in relationship to weariness. And so we've talked about three steps as an antidote for weariness according to the teachings of Jesus. Number one, if you want to set aside weariness, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There is a yoke involved in an antidote for weariness. Last week we talked about the test. Get the log out of your own eye. Don't judge. Get the log out of your own eye before you help get the speck out of your neighbor's eye. And we talked about the test. As my attitude, as my spirit, the weariness that I feel is often because I'm trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye while there's a log in my eye and it's wearing me out. And finally today, the third step, we're talking about the healthy stretch. In September of 1963, Bob Dylan sat down to write about the mood in the United States. The civil rights movement was in full swing, and he would later talk to friends about the fact that he wanted somehow to write a song that captured the particular mood of the country. He said that this is what people are talking about, and this is what they want to talk about, and he wanted to write a song that somehow became an anthem to the protest that was going on in the early 60s in the civil rights movement. As was the custom in the, in the 60s in folk music, uh, there are biblical allusions inside the content of what he writes. Listen to the words. Some of you will be singing them in your minds because you know the song, but here they are. Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. It's your time to you. If, if your time to you is worth saving and you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing. Come writers and critics who prophesize with your pen and keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again. And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin, and there's no telling who that it's naming, for the loser now will be later to win, for the times they are a-changing. Come senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't block up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled. The battle outside is raging. We'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls for the times they are a-changing. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand for the times they are a changing. The line it is drawn, the curse it is cast, the slow one now will later be fast, as the present now will later be past, the older is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last, for the times they are changing, the times they are changing. Now, I, I like that for a couple reasons. One, because I think it testifies to the fact that these emotions, that the things we're going through, uh, we've gone through before, we have felt them before. Change is always difficult. There's always something going on. But, but the other reason, and I really want to highlight this, the other reason that I think it matters is because the person who wrote that song in the 1960s is an old guy now. So the boomers in the 1960s who believed in the power of change and the hope it represented were writing anthems about what it would mean to not stand in the way of this progress. And they were writing them in a rebellion against the 
the structure, the status quo. That, that's the folks now who have a lot more trouble adapting. That's the folks now who, who don't necessarily want to stretch anymore. Because when you're younger, stretching is fun. And we're stretching over against something that we see as, as binding and restricting. But the older you get, the more you don't want to stretch anymore and you don't want to change anymore. And Jesus is speaking into that truth as he teaches his disciples about the power of change. I, I came across an article uh, the other day about why people hate change. Uh, there was a study done and uh, uh, they found that 38% of people in the world relate to change in a positive manner. 38% of people relate to change in a positive manner. And so uh, some of you are already ahead of me and you're already doing the math, which means 62% of people uh, consider change negative. They find it to be threatening and uncomfortable and they don't like it. And so when you think about what change represents, uh, for the 32%, it represents advancement and progress and adventure and a better future. For the 62% that think of change negatively, it represents anxiety, uneasiness, it's threatening, it's unsettling, and it's unwanted. That's a big majority of people, 62%, almost two-thirds of the population of the world. This was a worldwide study, not just about uh, North America. And so when you think about that, the study found that when you push just a little bit further, why do people dislike change or why do they relate to it positively? The study found that it had absolutely nothing to do with personalities. It has absolutely nothing to do with race or ethnicity. It has nothing to do with social standing. It has nothing to do with economic status. It all came down to this reality. What influenced people's attitudes towards change was their experience. If their experience with change was positive, they liked it. If their experience with change was negative, they disliked it. Pretty scientific stuff, huh? In other words, if you went through change in your life and that change turned out for the good, then you have a positive attitude. You're among those 38% of people who consider change positive. But if changes in your life have affected you negatively, then you have a negative attitude towards change. And I, I think it's so important because it seems like today we, we tend to look at people who are reluctant to change, who've struggled to change, and we say to them, you must not want progress. You, you must just be stuck in your old ways. No, it turns out I just have an experience, and the experience is that change doesn't always lead to good. In fact, in my story, in my life, change has often been painful and difficult and uncomfortable, and I resist it. And so as we think about what that looks like, we're considering what it means to really take on the process of a healthy stretch and how it looks. In an article called Five Reasons People Resist Change and What We Can Do About It, Danielle White talks about these issues. This is what she writes. It's been said that change is the only real constant. Generally, most people don't like to, uh, don't take too kindly to change, especially when it's thrust upon them without their input. I think these are profound words when you put them into our situation. While most people in leadership want to move full steam ahead at any cost, it's important to stop and appreciate those who are cautious or even fearful about the change being imposed upon them. People react to change in different ways. Some respond in fear while others respond in denial. But the best way to handle change 
is to allow people to understand the reason why. Here are five reasons people hate to change. People feel fear being different, especially when there's no precedent. precedent. Uh, we're creatures of habit. We like routine. We like procedure. If it hasn't been done before, it's hard to see how it's going to turn out. And we sort of hesitate to jump into change because we don't know. Every organization needs a visionary. Everyone needs a, someone that starts out with a vision. But having a vision is not enough. You have to show people what the change looks like, not just tell them. You have to demonstrate what it is. You have to model for them what's going on. That, in fact, people resist change because they fear being different. And if they can't see an example or understand the steps forward, they are resistant. Number two, people feel overwhelmed and stressed as a result of change. It, it turns out that, that being worn out is not a good companion to change. So in any organization, if you're in an organization and there's a lot of things in upheaval and there's a lot of transition and there's a lot of change and, and it got thrust upon you and things are going on, people tend to get sort of, you know, upset. In fact, the, the general response to change is to be cranky and angry and irritable and that is not a great environment for change. And so when that happens, it is so important that people engage that leaders engage, that they understand the people's needs, and they're attentive to the changes that are happening. And so we simply respond out of fear. Number three, people fear a departure from the status quo. By definition, implementing change is a departure from the way it has always been done. And, and, and when that is true, it means that whoever was doing it before was doing it wrong. It seems to me that you and I are experiencing these emotions. That we're going through this reality. That we don't understand exactly where we're headed. It's not clear what we're supposed to do next. We're hearing a lot of words, but there's not a lot of demonstration. Or here, here's what you could do to make a difference. Here's what you could do to change the, uh, the racial climate in our country and in our world. Here's, here's how to stand up to injustice. There's a lot of desire to do something, but not very clear steps going forward. And we've always done a lot of things, and we always feel unappreciated for the things we've already done and those become resistant to change because it is moving from where we are to where we need to be. Number four, people lack trust in the one making the changes. People need to respect leaders who have built trust over time and are able to be honest about what is happening. That, in fact, they are able to include people of all perspectives in the process of change and thereby allowing people to embrace the power of change. It starts to make a lot of sense why we're resistant. Number five, people know change brings a new set of possibilities and a new set of problems. So you could think about it this way, that common saying, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. It is risky to change. And while we recognize there are great possibilities in change and moving forward, we also recognize there are problems. And we would rather stick with the way things are, with the problems we have, than risk the possibility of change. So into that environment then, Jesus speaks this profound, brief couple of parables. Listen to the words as he 
begins to speak into some really difficult situations and thought processes for those who are believers and the broader world in general. Matthew chapter 9 verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So Jesus is, is speaking to a healthy stretch. So John is in prison, and his disciples have come to Jesus, and they've said, listen, we don't understand something. John is in prison, and as a result of that, we, his disciples, are mourning and fasting and asking God to deliver him from prison. And we just want to know why your disciples are not mourning too. They should be mourning like we are mourning. We should all be on the same page. We should be making a public declaration. We should be making uh, some statement about what's happening. And we want to understand why your disciples are not participating. Even the Pharisees are, are fasting. Even the Pharisees have this understanding of how it works and what it looks like. And how you advocate for the change. And Jesus is simply raising the stakes. And he says, for my disciples, we're working on something else. You're working on a symptom, and I'm trying to cure the disease. You're asking me to pay attention to something that's going on in the life of John, and that's important, but, but I want you to understand that right now we're in a time when we're inviting the kingdom to come and his will to be done, and we're, we're birthing this kingdom on earth, and we're living it out, and we're acting in compassion, and we're teaching, and we're moving, and things are going, and we don't have time right now to fast and to mourn. The time will come when we will fast and we will mourn, but right now, it's about changing. Right now, it's about adapting. Right now, it's about understanding what God wants for the kingdom of God alive on earth. And so, it's into this context that he is speaking to these disciples. And he's saying to them, you're focused over here, but I'm talking about doing this thing, this, this giant change. And then he begins to teach in these radical two parables. No one takes an old cloth and sews on a new patch. The rabbis use this illustration often, and Jesus is borrowing it from the rabbinic tradition. Clothes get old, and they get worn out, and for some of us, they get too little. And, and, and so, as they wear out, then they become tattered, and they become worn. And so, when they become tattered, and they become worn, the clothes were expensive. It wasn't something you could just, you know... We live in a strange age in which we have closets full of clothes that we don't actually wear. There's still a lot of places in the world where one or two sets of clothes are about it. And so when that garment becomes tattered and it becomes torn and it becomes full of holes and it wears thin, then it has to be patched. And everybody knows that, that once a garment has been washed and the fabric has been shrunk, if you take a new piece of fabric and you sew it on, then those two pieces of fabric are going to gonna shrink and adapt at different rates. And so if you put a new cloth on, uh, on old, uh, a new patch on old cloth, then, then what's going to happen is it's going to shrink faster and it's going to pull away, and you're going to end up with a bigger mess than when you 
started. You're going to be worse off than you were in the beginning of the whole process. And Jesus is simply making this application to say, there is an old covenant. And in the old covenant, there are all kinds of rules and regulations. And, and there's all kinds of rituals and traditions. And one of those rituals and traditions is fasting. And listen, I'm just telling you that that, that is an old covenant. But I'm talking about a new covenant. And, and your, your idea is that you want to take some old garments and you want to take a little patch here and a little patch there and you want to patch up the way you've always thought and the way you've always lived and you want to dress it up a little and make it feel better and look a little better and cover up the gaps and cover up the holes but I'm telling you that's not how it works you can't take the old garment and put on new patches no matter how hard you try the new patches will not make the old garment able to stand up to the changes and adaptations that are going on. You're probably going to need to put old cloth on old garments, and you're probably going to need to put new cloth on new garments. And if you didn't get it quite yet, he enters into a second illustration. Nobody puts new wine in old skins. It's somewhat magical process, this winemaking, I mean, today we, we produce wine in barrels commercially, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons by large vintners. And, but in the old days, and still in a lot of places in the world, winemaking was a part of the daily process of life. And it happened in small family batches, and, and it was done not in barrels, but in wineskins, usually some kind of a hide. And so... If you stopped and you thought about what this represented to the average person, to the average family, to, to take a collection of simple fruit that was grown in the garden and, and to crush that and to come up with, with uh, you know, something that's not bad on its own, some grape juice, not bad. But if you take that grape juice, which is volatile, volatile because it goes bad, volatile because if you just leave it like it is, without refrigeration, without any way of preservation, then, then at some point it can poison you and, and cause all kinds of problems. But if you take that same grape juice and you don't just leave it sitting out, but you subject it to some very intense changes. If you put it in wineskins and you allow it to build up, you allow the yeast to eat away at the sugars, and you allow this, this magical process to take place, I mean, a couple of things are going to happen in that process. There's going to be pressure building, and some old things are going to get eaten up, and some new things are going to get produced. And in that process, all kinds of pressures are going to build. And you can watch the process because the wineskin is going to inflate. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get stretched. It's going to move. And after so much time of pressure, after so much time of change, after so much time of things being eaten away from the inside out, Something transformational is going to happen. That substance that, that was so volatile and vulnerable is going to become something completely different. It's going to become wine. And this wine will, will, will be preserved in a way it's self-sustaining. If you bottle it and you're careful, it, it's going to, to last and last and last and last. But not only that, this, this substance now has medicinal purposes. 
that this substance now can actually cure things that are wrong with you. It can actually, actually provide relief from suffering. It can actually provide relief from pain. But it's got to go through the process. It's got to go through having old things eaten away. It's got to go through the process of pressures building, of discomfort. Not only is it medicinal, though, but we're also led into this understanding. It's, it's clean. It's clean. You, you can drink it without fear of contamination. The, the alcohol in the wine, it, it kills the germs and bacteria. And in ancient times, you couldn't just get a glass of water and drink it. It, it might kill you. But, but suddenly now, here is a product that's sanitized and clean and safe for you and safe for your family. This magical, almost mystical process, while this very common substance has become this very sacred product. And it's not just that it's medicinal or clean, but the rabbi said wine is joy. It represents the life, the very heart of the family. It represents something that is intimately strong and powerful and joyful, so much so that they bring it out at the wedding. They bring it out at the celebrations. They bring it out at the sacred moments. This thing that was mundane has become divine. It, it has become sacred to the family. And so Jesus chooses this rabbinic tradition to say, listen, you're hanging on to the old covenant. John's disciples, listen, you've, go, you've, you've gone in this radical new direction after this John the Baptist guy. But you're still hanging on to the old wineskins and you're trying to put new wine in old wineskins. We're about new wine in new wineskins. This is the new covenant of God, a covenant of grace. Where mundane things come and they become divine. They become sacred. And in our lives, as Jesus is illustrating it, he's calling us into this space when he says, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of sewing new patches on old garments? Aren't you tired of the weariness that creates inside of you as you try to take your old, stretched out, worn out, worn thin life and attitude and body and spirit and patch it up? with new patches that are adapting to the culture and adapting to the world and trying to figure out how to be relevant and how to figure out how to be virtuous in a time when it is so hard to understand what to do. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of, of taking the mundane and trying to, trying to put it into some sort of process, but it's, it's an old wineskin and there's a lack of flexibility? Let, let's be honest. It don't matter how old you are. I, I guarantee you, every generation has its space of inflexibility. It's what divides us. It's what's tearing us apart as a culture. I have this prejudice, and I have this perspective, and I have this idea, and this is how I see the world. And Jesus is inviting us into this place when he says, listen, I want to take the mundane nature of your world and of your culture and of the changes that are happening... And I want to overlay them with the very spirit and power of God. 
And I want to take this mundane substance of human ambition and the desire for racial equality and the desire for justice and the desire for mercy, all things at the very heart of God, at the core of our faith, we believe absolutely in the worth of every human being. We believe in the equality of every human as a child of the living God. We stand for a place where there is no racism, there is no injustice, there is no inequality. But how do we get there? Jesus says, listen, you won't get there by sewing new patches on old cloth. And you won't get there by putting this new wine into old wineskins. I don't know about you, but this is what I think. That the invitation that God has extended to you and the invitation that he has extended to me is to say, God, I am tired of patching things up. I want to be new. I want my heart, I want my mind, I want my spirit, I want my relationships to be renewed. I I don't want to try to stretch anymore. I don't want the new wine of, uh, uh, of whatever the latest thing is to be straining against the old inflexibility of my heart and mind and spirit. I'm tired, it wears me out. It wears me out. And I don't want to solve the diseases and the symptoms of the world. I want a new covenant and a new kingdom. I want this new wine of the kingdom of God, your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want this new wine in a new wineskin. And I probably knew that, and somewhere I knelt at an altar and invited God into my heart, and I invited God to give me a new wineskin, and I felt really powerful and good. But my wineskin has gotten old, and it's gotten inflexible. And this isn't about how old you are. And I need a new wineskin. That old show, I've said this before in here, that old show, You Are the Weakest Link. Remember that show, that game show? In my relationship with God, in my relationship with culture and the world, in understanding the complex things that are going on around me, I do understand this. I am the weakest link. And in that, all I can do is pray and say, God, I need new wineskins for new wine. I need new garments I need to somehow figure out what it would be for me to be truly transformed into what your will is on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll be honest with you, there's some things standing in the way. And some of what's standing in the way is I like the old garments. I like them. They're comfortable. They fit. They stretch with me. And the idea of trying to put something new into that mix is restraining and uncomfortable and painful. And I want the magic of the transformation. I I want to take the mundane and create something sacred. But the truth is, I'm kind of partial to these wineskins. I kind of like my rigidity. I like my inflexibility. I've decided I'm right. And for me to say, my opinion, my upbringing, my experience is not the measure of who I am. It's not the measure of what I think. I want to surrender that. I want to let go of it. I want to confess that I don't know. I want to confess that I don't have the answers. 
I want to confess that I've been trying to put new wine in old wineskins, and it is wearing me out. And more than once, the wineskins have burst, and the whole process has been lost. I'm going to have the band come back. We're going to share a closing moment together of just guided prayer as we think about how to respond to these powerful parables of Jesus. That as we've thought through these weeks, and we'll continue for the next couple of weeks, thinking about an antidote for weariness, today we're thinking about a healthy stretch. And I don't know about you, I, I, I honestly, when I am writing and preparing and thinking about this, I think God is saying to me, man, you got a little inflexible somewhere along the way. You got way too comfortable in the old garments. And we're not trying to take you and patch you up. We're trying to, we're trying to give you a brand new place, a brand new way of living, a brand new way of thinking. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Will you bow your heads as we pray? God, as we gather into these moments of prayer, we think about how we're adapting and adjusting to the changing times around us. Maybe there would be some this morning that would say, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I read it every week. I see it. I see people of faith posting about the end of the world and some sort of way in which we're surrendering our freedom to worship. But here we are, proclaiming your word. And I wonder how many of us would anticipate that in these times that the promise of your word is that the whole creation is groaning as if in the change of childbirth, longing for something, the birth of the kingdom of God in its fullness. But not only so, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our body. In this hope, we were saved. But who hopes for what they already have? But if we do not yet have it, we wait for it patiently. And I wonder how many of us, in the midst of this change, and adapting are feeling hopeful, anticipating growth, anticipating that the mundane is becoming the sacred, but there's all kinds of pressures and things got to get eaten away and they've got to get transformed. And we're gathering in this place to say to you, I surrender to you the old garments, no matter how comfortable they are. I surrender to you the wineskins. They might be brittle, they might be inflexible, but they're mine. And I know that the mundane can never become the sacred inside my heart and mind and spirit until I surrender to you the wineskins of my opinions, my perspective, even my experiences. And so, in this moment, 
I invite you as you quiet your heart and your mind and you invite the Holy Spirit to speak, what are the places where you've become inflexible? Where do you think you need to stop sewing on new patches? In what way would you simply pray, God, would you give me a brand new wineskin? Fresh, resilient, to surrender the places of inflexibility, of resistance to change, of anger, of reacting to people without compassion or sensitivity. Can you let it go? Do you desire real change to be transformed? Could you in these moments invite God to allow you to be a vessel of transformation? Would you invite Him to take the mundane reality of our lives, of your life? And through a mystical process of eating away some things of stretching might take the mundane reality of life and work and relationships and family and home and community life and turn it into something absolutely sacred safe clean medicinal joyful if God is for us who could be against it he who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up will he not also give us all things in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes can you allow the Holy Spirit to invite you to a healthy stretch to let go of the old to be willing to see with new eyes and hear with new ears and to respond with a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. God, would you help us as we respond to your word in these closing moments. We surrender ourselves to you. We pray you'd forgive us for our old garments and inflexibility. Teach us. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.